0: reading short and deep hi i'm jesse and i'm eric and today we're reading short and deep the raven by edgar Allan poe this was first published uh as attributed to poe in the new york evening mirror on january 29th 1845 uh i want to tell you a little funny story eric um I, I put up a YouTube video years and years ago of uh, an, a LibriVox reading of this poem, along with uh, the art from the Gustave Doré edition um, accompanying it. And um, it's got a little bit of traction over the years. People, you know, find it, and uh, one person left a, uh, a comment that includes an, a link to an essay in PDF form. It's about I want to say 14, 15 pages long. And its argument is that Edgar Allan Poe was not the author of The Raven. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Now, I printed it up and I was planning on reading it, but um, I think maybe uh, I will do that another time because that is not my contention uh, at first here. (laughs) Uh, uh, Having read a lot of Poe, if he did lift it from some of the guy, that guy I just happened to have the same hobby horse that poe always has which is beautiful dead ladies right <laughs> 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 um and uh i mean we see it in annabelle lee we see it in uh fall of the house of usher we see it in everything practically and um so i think we should just read it as if poe wrote it and then um if it turns out that Poe was not the author of his most famous poem.
1: <laughs> we can deal with that in another day. I I, I have no doubt that Poe wrote it, and, and I never knew the guy. Yeah, me like, neither. <laughs>
0: but you kind of get to know him by reading his stuff. Um, you do. I, I know this poem very well, so I'll uh, read through it for us, and then um, um, maybe we can discuss uh, what I think is, uh, if Jesse goes down in history for anything, uh, I think it should be for his amazing discovery of that which is hiding in plain sight, and which everybody in the world has failed to notice uh, basically for most of the poem's existence.
1: <laughs> a, a small, modest yeah, uh, a proposal. yeah, <laughs> good. Go <laughs> for it, Jesse. Here,
0: here we go. The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. 'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly, I wished the morrow, Vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating. "'Tis some visitor, entreating entrance at my chamber-door, "'some late visitor, entreating entrance at my chamber-door. "'This it is, and nothing more. "'Presently my soul grew stronger. "'Hesitating then no longer, "'Sir,' said I, or Madam, "'truly your forgiveness I implore. "'But the fact is, I was napping, "'and so gently you came rapping, "'and so faintly you came tapping, "'tapping at my chamber-door.' That I scarcely was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, Long I stood there, wondering, fearing, Doubting, dreaming dreams No mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, And the darkness gave no token, And the only word there spoken Was the whispered word, Lenore? This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, Soon again I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely, that is something at my window lattice. Let me see, then, what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, When with many a flirt and flutter, In there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, But with mine of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, Perched upon the bust of palace just above my chamber door, Much I marvelled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door with such a name as nevermore. But the raven sitting lonely on the placid bust spoke only. THAT ONE WORD, AS IF HIS SOUL, IN THAT ONE WORD HE DID OUTPOUR. NOTHING FURTHER THEN, HE UTTERED, NOT A FEATHER THEN, HE FLUTTERED, TILL I SCARCELY MORE THAN MUTTERED, OTHER FRIENDS HAVE FLOWN BEFORE. ON THE MORROW HE WILL LEAVE ME, AS MY HOPES HAVE FLOWN BEFORE. THEN THE BIRD SAID, NEVER MORE. STARTLED AT THE STILLNESS BROKEN, BY reply SO APTLY SPOKEN, DOUBTLESS, SAID I, what it utters is its only stock and store, Caught from some unhappy master, Whom unmerciful disaster Followed fast and followed faster, Till his songs one burden bore, Till the dirges of his hope That melancholy burden bore Of never, never more. But the raven still beguiling All my sad soul into smiling, Straight I wheeled a cushioned seat In front of bird and bust and door, Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking, fancy unto fancy thinking, what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore, meant in croaking, nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing, to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned in my bosom's core, this and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining, that the lamplight gloated o'er. But whose velvet-violet lining, with the lamplight gloating o'er, she shall press. Ah, nevermore! Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim, whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch! I cried. Thy God hath lent thee. By these angels he hath sent thee. Respite, respite, and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff, this kind Nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. quoth the raven, Nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent, or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate, yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home of horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there... Is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Prophet, said I, Thing of evil, Prophet still, if bird or devil, By that heaven that bends above us, By that God we both adore, Tell this soul with sorrow laden, If within the distant Aden It shall clasp a sainted maiden, Whom the angels name Lenore. Clasp a rare and radiant maiden, Whom the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked up starting. Get thee back into the tempest and the night's Plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul has spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart, and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, Still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas, just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. Mm. So, one of the most beautiful sounding poems with its internal rhymes and such, you can see why people like it. Um, It's just, you know, it's nice to say. It's fun to say. Um, But I think, as you pointed out with Annabelle (laughs) and I point out very happily with my students, people uh, get entranced by the sounds and don't become as interested as they should be in the actual text of what the story is one of the one of the interesting things that i have not fully solved eric um is there's a whole phenomenon going on inside this poem of fire um his soul is burning within him the f- fiery eyes of the bird are uh, staring at him there's the coals rotting ghosts upon the floor <laughs> um i, I, I And sometimes I think that the room is literally on fire and that the place is burning down behind him. And it ends with a final uh, hint of that with the, I mean, this is a pretty strange door. He's got a bust of palace and above that bust of palace, there's a bird sitting on it, right? But there's lamplight or the bird and the lamplight or him streaming throws shadows on the floor. Unless there's a light behind the bird, there shouldn't be any shadows unless this is all interpretive, in which case, and I think it is. But I think there's a second uh, discovery to be found in this amazing uh, ebony mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, when I told you the secret thing that I discovered within this... um, you were surprised. That made me happy because I think, I, I think I'm think I not the first person to discover it and I think even maybe Gustave Doré, which is the version we're reading it from, was aware of it. In certain images in that book, or in this book, um, the bird is not shown as clearly as one would if one wanted to show it clearly. Um, so, should I spill the beans?
1: I... My friend, it is yours.
0: All right. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I'm not sure how this idea first came into my mind, but it might have been, you know, I I am especially interested in illustration. You know this. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like to have a book that has just a bunch of stories in it and no illustrations to make me want to read the stories. So, uh, it might it may have been in the Gustav Doré. I've seen it in others too, and I've 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 extensive collection of art for the raven most people do not get it they depict the bird as a raven but the bird is not a raven and there's strong evidence for this um, and it's backed up by some uh, circumstantial evidence which is our narrator is unreliable, highly unreliable at one point he says uh, nameless here forevermore, Lenore he says, I'm not going to say her name anymore. <laughs> uh, turn the page. <laughs> He's saying, Lenore, Lenore, outside looking for her, right? And in, in a, a certain sense, I think that this um, poem inspired uh, another uh, story we've done on this podcast um, by Guy de Montpassant, in which a, a dead woman returns to the door of her father, um, having had her finger cut off. Uh, by a servant who thought she was dead when she was supposed to be dead, but she was just buried alive. Um, So I think that that's the hope of our narrator. But it comes down to it, Eric, once you start looking at the description of this bird that he describes, it is not a raven. And I'm going to read those sections here. So um, this is on uh, our page um, numbered 20 or 17, depending on how you how you look at it. Um, it says, In there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Now, the saintly days of yore means from long ago. Uh, saintly, uh, not, but yore, definitely. And then the next stanza has the description. This, Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. So he's describing how its face looks. It's grave and stern. Okay, seems reasonable. Grave makes you think of uh, serious. Stern makes you think of serious. but grave also makes you think of death. And then the next line, he literally tells the bird what it looks like. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no cra- craven, ghastly, grim, and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore. Uh, Ravens don't have their heads shaved. He thinks it has its head shaved. He says it's ancient. Uh, Its crest is not just shorn, it's also shaven. That is not a raven. (laughs) That is something else. And when I went looking, I discovered, as I was not very surprised to find... Uh, This ungainly bird, this ungainly fowl, is actually a vulture. Which fits far more with the idea of a psychopomp, someone who brings you from the land of the living to the land of the dead, um, and also the denial of the reality of heaven and being reunited with one's loved ones. The only truth that this bird has to say is that you will never be reunited with your loved one in heaven you shall never clasp her again it is sitting there waiting waiting for him to die so that it can pluck his bones (laughs) amazing right
1: i think i think there's a lot to be said for that view um the i i have seen vultures um for example uh, surrounding roadkill in Florida, you know, crushed mm-hmm. armadillos mm-hmm. in rural roads, and uh, calling them ungainly is in fact quite accurate. Oh yeah, um, they they do sort of have this strange waddle. Their their necks go you know down and up again like a meerschaum pipe. Um, and they, and they have the the a tonsured head like some strange uh, rapacious monk mm-hmm. um it it all fits quite nicely but one then has to ask why is it called the raven mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think it's called the raven in part because that's what the narrator the, the speaking voice wants this to be yes he wants it to be a sign of death not a sign of the body being consumed right he wants there to be at least the possibility of lenore in the physical world like annabelle lee's corpse that that speaking voice wants to lie down by the side of at the every night by this in the sepulcher there by the sea and
0: make the bride of
1: exactly so he wants there to be a lenore it could be a lenore if the raven with the psychopomp. Yes. But it's not, I think it's a, it's a brilliant observation. So why does he say that? Well, in part, because everything that he says here is a projection. Yes. As you say, unless, unless the door on which the bird is perched, um, has behind it a fan light mm-hmm. and there's light outside in a hallway, for instance, they're not going to be able to have anything shadows cast upon the floor. No. Um, He's seeing shadows where there never were, as he's hearing words where there never were. Neither ravens nor vultures speak in ways that are imitative of human speech. Um, they caw, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want that. He hears something else. Instead of hearing caw, caw, mm-hmm. he hears Lenore, nevermore. Mm-hmm. And as you say, he says, nevermore here will her name be. Whether here is in the poem or on this earth, both mm-hmm. are false. Mm-hmm. So we don't trust him. What we're seeing here is his projection. The question for me is, what does Poe mean by this? And it seems to me that he must realize, because he's created, unlike Annabelle Lee, where he's created a, a poet, a speaking voice, that just absolutely wants to be with this woman. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that it's a an, an impossible love. What we see here is Not just impossible love, but the derangement that that impossible love, the despair that it causes. So as for Poe, as with Poe, I should say, this poetic voice tries to find solace in texts. Mm Mm-hmm. He wants ancient and curious volumes of forgotten lore. If only he can bring up what was no longer available. If texts can make this possible. If writing a text can give me a sense of control over the world. Lenore may not be here anymore, but her name will live on. And in fact, it has Mm -hmm. for close to 200 years Mm -hmm. because of this poem. Um, It is a poem about a man driven to hallucination is too weak a word Mm -hmm. driven to embrace a mirage out of an utter desire of feeling bereft and I think you're right he won't see the vulture there but we should I think we should see a lot of other things as well Uh, it's not just that the fire is casting a shadow it's the ghostly embers of a fire Mm.
0: And they're not just casting; they're rotting. R o t ing. It's spelled w r o u g h t, right?
1: Right. Which sounds right. Well, it's it's wrought is the past tense of work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We it exists in modern English only in the adjective wrought iron. Yes. Um, But it's an it's an old uh, past tense for the word to work. Um, But look at what's going on. It's midnight. That is the darkest part of the day, mm-hmm. right? It is midnight. It is in fact in bleak December. Mm-hmm. December 21st is the darkest part of the year, the longest night. Even the embers are dying. Mm-hmm. So he's conjuring light against this enveloping darkness. It is dark, dark, dark. Now, if I may leap from the the micro to the macro, mm-hmm. The stanzas are constructed in special ways. The lines are long. They are involved with all kinds of internal rhyme. Oh, yeah. Once upon a midnight dreary while they pondered, weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume, forgotten lore, right with lots of repetition, mm-hmm. right? Napping, tapping, tapping, tapping rapping, rapping, Consonance, tapping, tapping. right. It's so good. It's, but not only is it musical, it is I think manifests a mind that's perseverating.
0: Sure. Yeah, he repeats right? himself const- constantly. And
1: exactly.
0: He's talking to he's talking himself into things. And, oh, oh, I don't need to worry. It's just a visitor. It's just a visitor.
1: But in fact, it's not a visitor at all. He wants it to be a visitor. Yep. He even says, "I want the solace of the book." Others have fled from me. I know you won't stay with me, Bird but in fact the bird does stay with him because it's a bird conjured by his mind and he wants it to be a raven he does not want I mean who is the bird who sits on the bust of Pallas Mm. it should be the owl it should be right? it should be the symbol of war and wisdom that goes with Pallas Athena Mm -hmm. but he doesn't have wisdom he has just the opposite he's hoping for a black ministration but in fact he's getting a vulture He's getting a perverse minister, a tonsured bird. The The stanzas are constructed, the prosody, to show that. In addition, the each stanza is five lines and another half line. But mm-hmm. the way he puts it on the page, the last half line is displaced to the right. Mm-hmm. So it's as if he speaks and then stops. "Tis some visitor I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, Only this and nothing more. Mm -hmm. He keeps hoping to find an answer, and every answer ends with nothing more. Nameless evermore, nothing more. Lenore, nevermore, nevermore, nothing more. He keeps stopping and hoping something else will fill his life, and it's that great emptiness Mm -hmm. that leads to that last line. But going back to December, to the winter solstice, you and I have discussed before Hebrew numerology, and, and in fact, Poe was a learned man. Um, in Hebrew numerology, eighteen is the number for life. It comes from the fact that if you divide up the the year, you get thirty six, three hundred sixty degrees. Right? Um, that's why we have 360 degrees in a circle. It has to do with a moderately close fit between 12 months when the moon goes through its cycle and um, a solar year. 12 of those months, 12 times 30, right? It gives us or times three gives us 360. So the ancient Babylonians, right, mapped out 360 degrees. We've refined the, the, that and have intercalary months and leap days and so on. But 360 degrees, interesting so if you were to go from the darkest time of the year to the lightest time of the year you would go straight across the circle Mm -hmm. 180 degrees or if you're going in 10 degree units 18 so the Hebrew alphabet is arranged so that writing the numbers with letters which is what it was done anciently chai is 18 the word for life and this poem which has its beginning at midnight and mm-hmm. bleak December, with a poet, a speaking voice that is trying to find some way to stay with Lenore, where the vulture is already coming to get her, even her body. This poem is eighteen stanzas long. Mm. Interesting.
0: I, I I didn't count them. Um, <laughs> well, it's it's amazing what he does with this poem because. What he's essentially done is, I don't know if he intended to do it, um, that just nobody saw it all mm-hmm. this time. But every time, like, he's just so unreliable. And that's what I love about Poe, is that he tells us these characters are unreliable. Um, you know, it, it it turns up in every story. <laughs> I think we yep. talked recently about uh, his only novel, Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. It ends... Uh, Yeah, in a podcast that just came out recently, um, we talked about collapsing cosmoses, and that's a a story that ends just as the action's getting excited, and then we're told uh, that the author died in a fire. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, well, that's a way to go, right? Well, yeah, uh, it's designed to be unsatisfactory. Every time the word nevermore comes up, he has a different interpretation of what it means. And he starts playing a game with the bird. Like, uh, if I said I, I like chocolate, would that be okay? Nevermore. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, not that one. What about if, uh, will I be reunited with my girlfriend in heaven? Nevermore. So no, it's almost like these are intrusive negative thoughts that are coming into his head. Right? Oh, I'm so depressed. Am I going to get to see my girlfriend in heaven? Nevermore. Oh, crap. Um, will I ever be free of this bird? Ah, oh, never more. Damn it. <laughs> it's almost a <laughs> of comedy. Course,
1: of, of course, the bird isn't speaking at all. Right? No, I mean- no. I, I, normally we don't comment much on the illustrations, but the DeRay illustrations are quite famous, oh, and yes. on our website you have the PDF with this version with the DeRay illustrations. I would like to make a bit of a comment. Mm-hmm. Um, the, we, the, po- the It begins, uh, there's, there's a, a DeRay illustration, then the poem as you read it, then another DeRay illustration, and then the poem is broken up and interspersed many, many DeRay illustrations. So the poem, when presented and on without any break is in fact bookended by two illustrations. Mm-hmm. The first one, on the PDF page fifteen, shows um, I suppose this fellow opening the curtain and the bird flying in. Mm-hmm. But there is a banner on the upper left that says "Nevermore," yep. and on the upper right, faintly, we see a skeleton. Yep. There's no flesh left. If that's Lenore, she's gone. But there's the bird, and it has its outspread wings. The, the man himself is looking in the wrong direction. Yep. If we go to the other end of the poem and see what the bookend is, duray has given us an angel in heaven, mm-hmm. but her wings are spread out as if she were the bird. Mm-hmm. And above her, there is a Greek word. Now, I don't read Greek, but I'm smart enough to use a dictionary. Mm-hmm. And that word is not angel. And it is not Lenore. It is a Greek word, ange, ange, and it translates as need. Uh. N-E-E-D. That's what this poetic voice needs. Mm. He needs to be able to see Lenore, not the mere skeleton, but he needs to see something else. I think Duray understands that this whole poem it's an expression of desperate longing. Yes. And in that regard, just exactly as you said when we began, Jesse, it's Poe plucking again a string that he plucks again and again in his work. I'd also add one other small thing. The most famous translator of Poe is Charles Baudelaire. Mm-hmm. Baudelaire, from 1840 until his death, over 20 years later, worked on and kept revising and augmenting his most famous volume of poems called Les Fleurs de Mal, Mm -hmm. The Flowers of Evil or of Badness. Baudelaire made Poe's reputation Mm -hmm. in France. Gustave Doré is perhaps the most famous engraver of this post-Baudelaire generation I think that Duret is giving us Baudelaire's idea of Poe, and he is, in fact, making this universal. Um, It's a great work. I loved hearing you read it. I hope people will, in fact, read the PDF and study the images, because for you and me, yeah, so good, and Gustave Duret and Charles Baudelaire, there was always more to say.
0: Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.